Welcome back to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, hit that pause button and go back one episode because this is part two of a two-part episode with my guest, Tyler Scruggs. In the first part, we covered the original Tron from 1982, and in this episode, we're covering Tron Legacy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. I promised you that if I ever got any information about your dad, I'd tell you first, right? I was Paige last night. Came from your dad's office at the arcade. So? So? The number's been disconnected for 20 years. Two nights before he disappeared, he came to my house. He said he was about to change everything. Science, medicine, religion. He wouldn't have left that, Sam. He wouldn't have left you. Alan, you're acting like I'm gonna find him sitting there working. Just, hey, kiddo, lost track of time. Wouldn't that be something? Okay, Tron Legacy, released December 17th, 2010, written by Edward Kitsis, who was a writer on Lost, Ada Horowitz, who was also a writer on Lost, Brian Klugman, Lee Sternthal, directed by Joseph Kozinski, who um, was once again in this franchise a first-time director. Um, The score was composed, obviously, by Daft Punk. That was sort of something everybody knew going into this one. Um, Had a budget of $170 million. Opening weekend only pulled in $44 million, but the overall U.S. gross was $172 million. Worldwide gross, though, $400 million. Holds a 51% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Stars, once again, Jeff Bridges as Kevin Flynn and Clue. Uh, Garrett Hedlund as Sam Flynn. Olivia Wilde as Cora, Bruce Boxlinter as Alan Bradley and Tron, James Frain as Jarvis, uh, Bo Garrett as Jem, and Michael Sheen as Castor and Zeus. This one was a lot of fun. I I'm, I just don't know where this like disappeared into my world, like why I had never seen it. It seems like something I would have loved in 2010. I was, uh, what's this, 10 years ago? I was only... Uh, 25 at the time like i don't know why i didn't see this in theaters this this movie's awesome 
It's super cool. And it came out probably like a lot of people love 1999 as like a year for film, but like I'm that way about 2010. I think 2010 was one of the best years in movies because like that Oscar season was fantastic. Uh, but this was like around this time I was a sophomore in high school and this was when I started really getting into going to uh, like advanced screenings from like radio DJs. And this was me utilizing Twitter to find out when the ne- when the press screenings were and mm-hmm. when like the advanced screenings were for various movies. Um, so I was seeing a lot of movies at this time. Um, and I even went to the IMAX theater once to see like a 20 minute cut <laughs> of Tron Legacy. A 20 minute <laughs> like, cut? That's how- yeah, that's that's how hyped I was be- because they had done like this IMAX preview night where it was like free passes and like wristband and like goodie bags or whatever to promote Drawn Legacy. And it was literally just like a highlight reel and like the derezzed trailer. Um li- like literally in and out 15 20 minutes. <laughs> um and then I think it came out like a month later. So the hype was like just super real for this movie. I I like bought tickets in advance. Like I saw it in IMAX 3D, then 3D, then 2D. Um, and I was doing a lot of movie hopping. So I remember one day I watched uh, like Tron Legacy, Black Swan, The Fighter, and like Tangled, and that was like my day. That's a that that's a <laughs> unique day. I I doubt many people can say they saw those four movies even in a week let alone a day yeah so i was like just like i'd buy one ticket in the morning and i'd just stay at the movies i would try i i remember doing some double features some weird ones i think um scott pilgrim and expendables 2 was one i remember like both movies came out the same weekend and Uh that was a weird uh you know sort of contrast in, in films one was a you know, bro action movie in one was a nerdy uh, sort of, uh, I don't even know how to explain uh, Scott Pilgrim, one of my favorite films of all time, but I don't even know how to, what you call it. But um, yeah, I just don't know where I've been on this movie either. Like I knew going into this one, I I knew it was a sequel, but from what I under, from what I sort of been told or, or maybe I just gathered and assumed that it was more of a, reboot with some nods to the past but that's not completely true like uh my wife watched this with me last night and she did not watch the first one with me and she was a little lost (laughs) on i mean it it relies heavily on um nods to the first movie uh, as far as you know i mean the whole story is based around characters from the first movie uh but they do just enough to make it so that you probably can watch it alone um, without seeing it and, and sort of get what's going on. But I, I think you have to see the first to appreciate this one fully. Yeah. And I, and I know that that's not the case for so many people. Like I, I'm, there's gotta be a lot of people who have only seen this film <laughs> and 
don't like I can't imagine really getting it or really being invested in it apart from it being, you know, a two hour music video. Which right. Is what Eye candy. They call it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I really loved it. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's a lot when I start watching it, I'm like, okay, basically the story is, um, Flint has been missing. Like it starts off. I thought it was really cool in the real world. And it, it picks up right after the original movie. Flint has a son now and he's telling, he's, he's like, I have to go back to work. I'm working on something and he leaves and he never comes back. And so his son, we fast forward to the future or now the future. Uh, hold, hold, hold on. Sure. Did you have a reaction to the de-aging? So this, so this, so the scene that you're describing right. is just kind of pivotal to people's conceptions of the film, and I'm wondering if you had any knee-jerk reaction to the de-aging CGI. It didn't. I don't know. I we've we I've I've seen uh, the Irishman, so it's like I I don't know. It doesn't really necessarily bother me that much. I mean, I, I the night before I watched the original Tron, so it's like. I wasn't, and I knew this was 10 years old, so I knew it was not going to be perfect. And um, it sort of reminded me of, they did this with Kurt Russell in uh, Guardians 2 at the beginning. And, you know, the technology's gotten better and better, but it didn't really throw me off as much as you might think. Like, I didn't I didn't mind it. I, I got what they were going for, and they did a good job of sort of filming it from a profile so that it wasn't straight on to his face at, at the beginning. I mean, we'll get into how they did this with clue later where he's completely de-aged through the, the whole movie, but um, didn't really bother me at the beginning. Oh, uh, that's, I, I'm heartened to hear that because it, it's kind of like I, it, the de-aging I feel like has become this movie's legacy. Um, it, it was one of the first to like, not one of the first, but like, it just really went for it in, in that way, uh, in a way that people hadn't seen before, but now has become so like commonplace. <laughs> like, right. Now every Disney movie's got some sort of de-aging going on or like the de-aging in, uh, coming to America is insane. Like that's the best I've ever seen, um, but yeah, like it's, uh, yeah. So I was just curious. Yeah, they. Um, I, I but, saw that they used the same tech that they use for Benjamin Button, like the same, yes. the same visual effects Benjamin team did Button. that. Yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> How could anyone forget Benjamin Button? Um, yeah. Yeah, so this yeah, we we get back to Sam in modern times and uh well not quite Sam yet, but um they're having a board meeting at this major company and basically it, it sort of remind me of the original where we have the bad guy who's represents the corporate boss and um he's using the technology for not so great things and then uh Sam Flynn who we find out later is Sam Flynn, but I think if you're, if you've watched the first movie, you sort of assume, you know, you know who this is because we, we were introduced to him at the beginning of the movie, but he like breaks into the building and basically hacks the system and takes it down. And then we get a, like a high speed motorcycle chase and 
gets busted, but then he gets uh, he has a conversation with his dad's old friend um, Alan Bradley, and he basically goes looking for his dad because he gets a page on his his uh, Alan gets a page on his old pager from uh, Flint's arcade, <laughs> so he goes to check it out. And just like his father, he gets sucked into the computer world. So he goes looking for his his dad, finds him, and then they have to basically save the world because Clue is trying to break out of the computer world and take over the real world. That's pretty much the story, right? I'm I'm not missing anything. It, yeah, there it does uh, allure to a lot of uh, crazy things. But one th- one thing to note is. Uh, um, what's his name? Cillian Murphy. Yeah, his presence is piercing in this movie. Well, he has one scene. He's not credited, and he yeah, he just plays a complete like weird dickhead. He comp- he plays a complete weird dickhead who like is meant to be the the antagonist for f- future movies that never happened. Um, so it was just so weird because uh, that was the year that inception had come out. Like it it was like, what's the dude from inception doing here in that? Like, and why did they give him? Yeah. One short scene and we don't hear or see from him ever again in the movie. He's not even credited. Yeah. There's so much like on the cutting room floor or like, like, like that's the kind of stuff that like gets just like yanked out of movies like this. And, you know, maybe we need four hour cuts to really (laughs) do all of the scenes and have, uh, you know, all the exposition, all the intimate, uh, character scenes. I don't know. Um, I think they introduced Sam Flynn, in a very like interesting not not really interesting way um ultimately but it was interesting how uh he was kind of like this bmx type like yeah extreme they, sports they took a, yeah. th- this like extreme sports you know red bull kind of motherfucker <laughs> yeah he i forgot he uh like uh jumps off like free falls off a building and has a parachute after after the motorcycle chase and yeah yeah and it's it's so much in lieu of character development <laughs> like, like the dude is like is salty and cracker uh through and through except the export stuff and um i just find that fascinating like i just don't i could never come to that like conclusion (laughs) you know what i mean right yeah maybe they wanted a guy who like you know could ride a motorcycle in the real world or whatever so that it's more um, believable when he gets in there that he can compete yeah yeah and like i i like garrett headland enough like as a person but he he's definitely like the most miscast bit of the entire franchise well i I mean there's just a lot of questions leading up to this movie like if the first movie was not a huge hit it was it like how did this even happen i mean i know that it's a cult classic the first original film and we talked a little bit about how you know it had success with the video games and stuff but how did it all these years later how did they even convince disney to get a sequel off the ground do you know like any of the behind the scenes stuff about that um not 
not necessarily apart from they saw the success of avatar and was like hey we need an avatar just like they were star wars Um, with the first one yeah pretty much and so you know they touted the the imax 3d immersive uh aspect of it and you know they were kind of leaning into that style of you know roller coaster filmmaking which they ultimately perfect with with the marvel um one thing that i watched in preparation for this was um tron the next day it's a short film did you come across it i am i think Um, i saw it on disney plus but i didn't watch it yeah, it's essentially it's just like this little like almost like mock it's a mockumentary of uh like the exposition between um 82 and uh 2010 while like kind of teasing the uh third film uh that never happened. So like there's just so much bank there's so much it's was like it's one of those films and there are quite a few movies like this that like are just, you know so sure that they're gonna like have sequels and be a franchise that they just like spend the entire movie setting up those franchises that mm-hmm. don't happen. And so like the ISOs as a concept is fascinating, but like there's no time spent like really thinking about the implications. Like one of the weird things about Tron Legacy is that like it talks a big game like Kevin Flynn. He's like in there is our destiny. We're changing philosophy, religion. Like there's like this monument like that's the kind of like that's a mystery box that Tron Legacy sets up mm-hmm. um, and then never delivers on it and then never like delivers on it um although i wouldn't call the third act generic either like it's a li- i mean tron kind of invented the blue light in the sky <laughs> <laughs> look yeah uh so it had to end kind of like that but um you know rewinding all the way back uh it's i couldn't connect to sam flynn as a character and i I never have and it bums me out because he gets so much time that i would have rather have spent either with olivia wilde or understanding the world a little more well that's funny because i was actually going to say went right as you were saying that i was going to say um i sort of connected to olivia wilde's character cora more than sam flynn myself Uh, and they give her a little more uh, development as far as making us feel sympathetic for her like when she gets her arm broken off i was like oh no you know i actually (laughs) felt something where i just didn't give a shit if, if something happened to sam like i wanted uh, Flynn to get out of there and win. I wanted uh, and I wanted uh, Cora to get out with him, but I'm like, yeah, Sam can stay. I don't care. Uh, sort of a shithead, but uh, it's it just the the yeah the gore of this film, like you know, in kind of air quotes, yeah, is like one of my favorite things. Like I love watching them get destroyed and blown to bits. Like it's one of my favorite things, and especially like the up close, like. Uh, special effects of you know the pixelated nubs oh and yeah half heads right i was gonna say right when he gets into the computer world and he doesn't know where he's at he's on he's like riding along with um, other programs and he looks over 
and you know ask the guy like what where are we what's going on and the guy turns and grunts at him and he's missing half his head and it's like that's pretty you know i know it's a pg movie and it's it's like digital gore but it's like alarming right away it's like oh that guy has half a head and it's you know it's still sort of uh graphic for like a disney kids movie i know that's weird because you know you can't see my air quotes either but the gore is like you know it's yeah digital gore. Like he, uh yeah like the guy you know falls to his death into a fan and yeah. like the fan blow you know destroys him and like that it does kind of make you jolt a little bit in that pg way and like that's what i ultimately love about it but like Cora as kind of like the Disney princess is so alluring and so fascinating and like cute in this. Like this is like Olivia Wilde at her best to me um, because it's not it's it, you know, it's 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 Disney princess essentially mm-hmm. while being kind of like this damsel cool, in distress that needs to be rescued type thing. Uh, kind of, but she, but she's also doing the cool girl thing. Like she's like, uh, she's a good character. Um, especially, you know, the, the whole premise of like the kind of like the algorithmically generated beings like, and they're growing like autonomy. Like there's so much to like run with with that like in the kind of like universe changing ways that uh you know i hope they can like bring to light i have my own like pitch for tron like that i think they should do a disney plus series i don't think they should uh try to do a big like imax feature film well (laughs) you might get your wish I th- yeah, I think they should actually try to recreate the 80s aesthetic, but like it would be like a kind of Stranger Things. I know we shit talk Stranger Things, but um, essentially like imagine a modern audience having to like operate within the old operating system and it's like spending eight episodes uh you know, having to deal with that aesthetic while like doing a lot of real world stuff about like those like ISOs and philosophical implications, kind of like uh, Mr. Robot E. Right. And, and I, uh, that's what Tron the next day reminded me of was very Mr. Robot, very, uh, you know, those Marvel shorts that they stopped doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that of like cops, you know, teasing the next movie or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I forgot where I was headed with that, but um, I, 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 uh, I really like the lore of Tron and Tron Legacy goes bananas with it in the hopes of universe expanding and like becoming a franchise but it ends up being just like a lot of open threads that like end up you know you project your imagination into right and we were going back to what we were talking about a little bit with cora i think that's sort of where we where you started with your uh, yes yeah she uh olivia wilde like when i was watching this like you said um this is like some of her best work i i sort of thought back to like in the 80s when they put 
Arnold as a Terminator because they're like, you know, if, if we were building a robot to be like the perfect ideal man at that time, it would be Arnold, like, you know, chiseled, yeah. handsome, perfect jaw. Like Olivia Wilde is not like your everyday looking. She's gorgeous. I mean, you know, just absolutely gorgeous in this we movie. We need a hot girl from a computer. Right, exactly. But she's <laughs> But she's not your typical like blonde blue eyes like the sirens are in this movie you know like she's she's striking and uh you know not to be like i I don't know just i i thought you know her casting was really really good in this um i I really am a big fan of her as a uh, actor and now a uh a director so i i didn't even know she was in this when i uh was going to watch it because like i i just don't know how this slipped under my radar completely in in 2010 i don't know what i was doing because i was a movie fan i was not going to as many movies but uh i'm just like blown away by how this was not anywhere near my radar i did not know she was in this i mean you weren't alone the film bombed um but uh or at least didn't do well enough to guarantee a sequel um which i think says a lot you know because i mean like 40 million opening weekend is is not what they were oh you know, no the, the u.s gross is 172 million on a budget of 170 and that's not you know people think oh that made a profit not really like that's not N- no no um so it's weird that they're doing roller coasters it's weird that they're even still talking about it uh because it's not like we're talking about you know John Carter sequels or uh, a Tomorrowland sequel or well maybe they they're um, hearkening back to the original film when they put out the video game it was a huge success like let's put out the theme park ride you know uh, I don't know I mean it's, I'm even before it's this... a good way of like kind of getting into the people's psyche like the you know going back to the pandora world um from avatar like the like that theme park does a lot of world building for avatar um and as, lays a lot of groundwork for like the sequels mm-hmm. in a way of like oh like oh here's like what the world is you know like at this time it keeps it in people's memories um, yeah yeah and i and i think even tron legacy has become a cult film in its own right you know the daft punk you know element definitely plays an you know definitely plays a role but i think it's i think we're gonna look back and like it seems for it as like a very like a very 2010 movie like in the future when we have a stronger conception of like the early 2010s right it's it's like oh like oh this is so 2010 Uh, oh absolutely i mean they hired two writers from lot that did lost like you know a a series that at the time was like there was nothing bigger you know people knew lost everybody watched lost and in 2010 that was you know looking back now we're like why would they hire the guys from lost to write a tron sequel but in 2010 we were probably like oh of course they hired the guys from lost to do a tron sequel uh, and, and once again, yeah. they, they entrusted a first time director in uh, Joseph Kosinski uh, to do this huge movie for them. And, and I was looking on his IMDb and I cracked up because um, 
on his on his list of things he's done, including Oblivion, Only the Brave, and his upcoming um, Top Gun sequel, Maverick. He is also responsible for the Taco Bell Web of Fries commercials, which uh, I I always thought were hilarious. The uh, I think those are the ones really? that yeah the nacho fry commercials that are like play as if they're actual movie trailers. He directed those trailers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that I mean that that's that's cool. I wish he was making Oblivion too, but that's cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I can't wait for Top Gun Maverick. Like, especially, I love his directorial eye. Like, I know that that sounds a little funny because his filmography is limited, but, like, the um, the aesthetic, the you know, the clean uh, digital minimalist kind of look that his films have, like, just captivate me. And, you know, like he's attached to he's supposed to do remakes of the black hole and like Logan's run, <laughs> uh, which probably aren't going to happen. There was a, there was a time when it was like Logan's run directed by Joseph Kaczynski starring Ryan Gosling. And wow, that was definitely a Hollywood Reporter article. And I was like, hell yes. Um, See, these things don't always come to be, and so you gotta, you gotta really appreciate the ones that do happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I think about you know, and this wasn't necessarily like a franchise that they were building up, but I remember how hyped um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was, you know, and they they covered like the entire side of the building at, at San Diego Comic Con that summer, and it was hyped to be this huge thing, and then it sort of fell flat on its face, like. Where are the fans, you know? And you sort of wonder about, like, with this one, they they hyped it at Comic-Con several years. They even had the crowd do, like, stomping and clapping. They recorded it and put it into the film when uh, we see Sam play his first game in the computer. Like, that's the sound that the sounds are actually recorded from Comic-Con when they showed test footage. And uh, oh wow, it's like where were those people? Why didn't they go see it? Why didn't I see it? You know, they, they clearly spent enough on marketing. They put it out there. They had all kinds of tie-ins. Um, like you said, at, at the Disney parks, um, they, I'm sure they had food and drink tie-ins at several restaurants. Um, it, cause it's Disney and they're not dumb. I just, how does something like this flop? I mean, I just, I just don't get it. I, I don't either. Um, it was so weird seeing like this got like uh, talk about like you're getting like your echo chamber popped because I saw Scott Pilgrim. I had, I'd gone to advanced two advanced screenings and saw opening night and like, I was like, just stoked. Like, I just like already loved this movie. It was already my favorite thing in the world. Um, and then Monday morning, see that it only made like $10 million against the $30 million budget. And it's like, oh, like I was like a percentage of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, it's, it, it sucks, but I, I've, you know, I've gotten used to that feeling now and maybe, you know, in this current climate, like that's that's the way it should be like you should just watch what you want to watch um 
you know, algorithms be damned, you know, fight for the user. That's the whole point. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like the whole way we're calculating box office now is so strange anyways, because like Avatar just took back the, you know, highest grossing film over Endgame. Um, but, you know, we're not counting inflation and, and re-releasing it and, then we were putting all these HBO, you know, all these movies on HBO Max. So are they pulling mm-hmm. from theaters and some theaters are open? Like everything right now is is up in the air and we don't know the future, how the what the future holds for films. But um, it's it's interesting, like you're talking about doing, you know, a Disney plus series rather than a film, because it seems like even before um, COVID, that thing started to lean towards, you know, series. And now with everybody having their own streaming service and and Disney really succeeding with what they're doing with Mandalorian and WandaVision already, you know, I could, I could see them be more interested in that than a third movie with Jared Leto. Let's hope so. Well, I, it seems like it's a go because I learned over the course of this podcast recording that it had a title of Tron Aries. Did you come across that? No. Tron. I mean, they're, they've, been talking about Tron 3, you know, relatively recently. Um, but yeah, Tron A R E S. And I don't know what that means. Um, but like, I guess Leto's attached, uh, Garth Davis, um, to direct. What did he do? He directed Lion, huh um so where where do you stand on leto what is your take on this because i had a heated discussion today with some friends on jared leto um i can't stand the guy uh i i don't know it's it's one he's very celebrity like in the most like celebrity way like the worst celebrity Uh, way yeah yeah like he's he's everything that you think he is um but to degrees that like you're deeply uncomfortable with like i'm not a fan of his approach to like method acting i you know i can't stand the dc movies um i can't uh you know he's i remember seeing him in fight club way back when and like thinking he was cool maybe he should go back to that look like the short hair and the bleach blonde but i don't know he's 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 just not cool um 30 seconds to mars not cool uh <laughs> that documentary where they complain i watched that whole documentary where they like the record label the, one yeah the record labels and stuff and i mean that's valid and like that's probably you know that issue is something to like highlight but is that why you're acting so much jared like i don't there was just like elements that i didn't quite get of that um and i just don't the the cult thing and the sort of Jesus-y approach that he has to himself is just alienating um, in a way that I don't think a Tron movie needs. 
Well, see, uh, you know, I'm the yeah. the the two people I discussed this with today are I'm sure will be listening to this and they'll be celebrating because they were almost line for line saying exactly they're like we don't like the way he does the uh you know his method acting is over the top and and you know I feel like they they feel like he he uh, puts too much emphasis on letting people know that he does these things. Um, and it's it's a strange thing because it's like Hollywood for some reason movies who, who, hiring um, casting directors somebody out there is just in love with him like they just keep casting him and things. Um, I I I like the guy. I think as a performer, I am not a fan of Jared Leto maybe the person, but as an actor in movies, I I like it's hit or miss. I mean, but I'm not going to defend the guy because I absolutely think the criticisms are warranted. Um, and maybe I just have a soft spot because um, he was very nice to me the one time I met him, and uh, he, he he said my <laughs> I met Garrett Hetland once. He he, uh, he or like five times actually. He uh, he you know used my name and said you know it's very nice to meet you, Tad, and and you know he was he, I just like long time ago, but uh, maybe that's just like stuck in my head and I can't um, hate the guy, but. Uh, you see, I sort of thought I was going to hate him in um, Blade Runner, and I I liked him in Blade Runner. He was fine. Yeah, he was fine in Blade Runner. How? But he he didn't necessarily add anything to it. But then again, it was like then after I see the movie, it's like Jared Leto wore contact lenses that um, made him completely blind, so that he couldn't see while filming. It's like, why? Why did you need that? Your character's not that big of a deal in the movie. Did you really not need to see to get into character? Do we need to know that? I don't know. I can see both sides of it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's very serviceable. Like I, you know, maybe he's great to work with. Maybe he, you know, maybe he's really good at what he does, but I, I don't buy it. Like I'm not, I don't know the type of person who's putting up Jared Leto posters on their wall, team beat. Like my sister did when I was in like, elementary school when he was on uh, my so-called life i think wasn't it i think that was yeah i mean and there there is something to be said for like late 2000s jared leto like lord of war i really liked him in that i i i was well i was thinking more uh like his first like the first 30 seconds to mars record i i have I recall some appreciation, having some appreciation. Oh, I I can say I've seen them live twice. It's okay. You don't have to whisper that you appreciate parts of the first album. I've seen them twice. It's okay. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, uh, I I mean, I don't know. Like maybe my hate for Jared Leto is unwarranted. I mean, my hatred for Jared Leto is clouding my capacity to get hyped for, Tron 3. Like if I can get through my frustrations with Jared Leto, I have a Tron 3 to be excited by. But right now, like I operate as though there isn't a Tron movie in pre-production at some stage, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's the energy that I should be putting out into the world. Uh, I should be more so, mad at him because he canceled the third time we were going to go see them. He canceled and it was because he ended up going to um, New York. He was supposed to play in Iowa. 30 seconds of Mars were, and he went to New York to be with Kanye when he hosted SNL. Oh, 
Well, of course there's that. <laughs> and you know what? Like, are you familiar with Kanye's uh, Jetsons movie? No. Please enlighten me. Uh, so there... I'm trying to... I don't know what year this was, but this was another Kanye Twitter rant where... Uh, he claimed to be the creative director of a live-action Jetsons film. Uh, and, like, Hollywood Reporter, like, Variety, like, all the outlets, like, reported on it. And they're like, Kanye claims he's uh, the creative director, it, like, <laughs> it using air quotes, of a... Of the of an upcoming Jetsons film. Like, Warner Brothers can't be reached for comment. Um, so, I mean, he can do a lot more now than he was able to do then, like in terms of like business goodwill earned. Uh, but to be honest, like long story short, I could kind of see Kanye taking a job with a, like for a Jared Leto led Tron film. Yeah. And that that definitely would elevate things and i think that i just don't see a world in which kanye west is aware that his friend jared is <laughs> like like the titular uh character in the upcoming tron film and not at least try to get involved oh yeah like as you were as it was unfolding as you were saying it out loud i'm like oh i know where he's going with this yes absolutely agree like if if he doesn't already know someone should let him know we should all tweet at him and let kanye know that jared leto's doing a tron movie so we can get him involved and maybe even it out you know like i i, I just also, would be interested for in it yeah um honestly if they if if they could figure that out if if those stars could align um i would love for this movie to like exist on streaming somewhere but it doesn't but um did you happen to catch uh Kanye's IMAX Jesus is King film no i did not uh that was like 35 minutes or something crazy and it was like a full price IMAX <laughs> no. um, and it was like a lot of uh, kind of like uh, atmospheric shots and so like I, I just have this conception in my head right now of like Tron 3, Tron Aries starring Jared Leto and it's just like just it, it utilizes the Jesus is King aesthetic of like the the craters and stuff um people have to google all of this i i don't i don't know is that where i'm explaining myself no i was thinking um there's that like picture that floats around of kanye when he's like painted silver what's that from oh that was the opera that he did okay or one of the one of the operas that he did i'm so glad like nebuchadnezzar i'm so glad i have you on here to explain this stuff i feel like it like an old boomer like so why was kanye silver tyler <laughs> that's that's pretty good um no i definitely can answer you know most <laughs> <Kanye> questions <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, I think I, I I'm kind of coming around on this Tron three. Like I love I love the Tron movies a lot. I love the aesthetic. I love the world. Like I love the color. Um, but this whenever I think about Tron three, like I get like bad vibes. Like I I get I get really worried because I don't think I don't I don't think twenty twenty one Disney can make a great Tron film. I think they're I think they're too they're too high on their own supply right now. Um but you know, I would love to be proven wrong. Yeah, prove us wrong and uh get Kanye involved. We want it, Disney, if you're listening to this Disney. Um get Kanye involved <laughs> because I know that like they made that uh they made the Lion King like without Kanye's like knowledge like that's my speculation but like it's astounding how like Kanye West was nowhere near that Lion King album right with uh, all the people that were did, involved how did they keep him out yeah yeah and so it's got to be some like professionalism thing like I, I'm sure like if I was in any sort of corporate position where I was responsible for the whimsical decisions of one Kanye West, like I'm sure I would pull my hair out. Like I don't think Kanye West is super like equipped for the multi-million dollar like film production. Oh world. no, no, not at all. He... I don't think he can do like 14 hour uh, acting days. Or no, I'm sure he, like he that. does what he wants and that's what's always been his saying. Like whether you like it or not, he does what he envisions in his mind and he completely controls it and you got to respect him for that. Yeah, he's he he's truly uh the master at what he does and it uh you know, he's a huge Tron fan. So there's there's also the one other thing, one other Tron related thing. Uh I <laughs> that's deep to me. I one time tweeted at Father John Misty asking if I could make a music video to his song True Affection um and make it tron themed and i have the screenshot of it and so i have written permission from father john misty to produce a <laughs> tron <laughs> music video for him that i just haven't done yet um but if there's anyone out there listening who's interested in taking on that project my schedule is clearing up soon and it's it's approaching my to-do list that would be something completely wild um yeah, just directing a uh, a song, uh, a music video to that is. If somehow someone that listens to this is connected to them, um, you know that would be. Well, funny. you don't have to be connected. I've got per I've got permission. Okay. We just need to make it. Okay. We just it, it just it just has to get made. We can make it, shoot it in black and white with with the dark light. Make it make it eighties Tron set to the song "True Affection" by Father John Misty. What, you, it's a very it's it's an achievable goal oh yeah and it you might have some done. luck because i i know filmmakers do listen to this because i run a film festival and i'm the movie guy so hopefully if they've made it into the uh 100 and almost two hour uh, mark on this episode uh thank you oh man and yeah like <laughs> they literally get at me if you're still listening to this like <laughs> i want to be your friend like i appreciate you so much
Well, those worlds are, you know, music, movies, everything. I, I feel so old sometimes when I see, like, you talking about music because I sadly have, like, just sort of fallen off on, on new music and I need to be better about it. Um, I get stuck in my it comfort happens. my comfort lanes and I'm like, man, I need to find something new and I should just reach out to you and be like, what should I be listening to? Because you keep on top of it, but... Um, I'm starting so I'm I'm starting to wane I, or I'm starting to realize that like my conception of contemporary is it, you know is starting to lose track and I've uh it was I went to a Charlie XCX show and it was that show where I was like oh I'm like not the young person <laughs> <laughs> anymore <laughs> like the every like everyone here is like five years younger than me and the music is teeny bopper in a new progressive way for the genre but like <laughs> i i'm now behind on the times and so i'm trying to i'm trying to catch up myself with like hyper pop and uh all the cores there are a lot of cores uh night core horror core whatever um it's music's weird right now the whole industry is trying to make songs under two minutes like yeah make them tiktokable it's it's tragic like my my wife's big into the what is it reggaeton like bad bunny that stuff and like makes me feel really old when she listens to it in the car i'm like i don't know what's what's happening uh but uh that's a whole that's a whole different world bring it back to music actually um what would they do for for tron 3 now that um you know r.i.p daft punk like they're they're they broke up they're gone uh well kanye would be the first choice i i the second choice would be uh you could probably get ludwig however you pronounce his last name, uh, the composer who produced all of Childish Gambino stuff yeah, yeah. and uh, Black Panther. Yeah, that's would, probably what would, they do, too. I would hire him. His dubstep Star Wars was kind of masterful, in my opinion. Like, if you're going to introduce dubstep, that was the way to do it. So were you, were you pretty bummed to hear that uh, Daft Punk were hanging it up? It was just so unnecessary <laughs> to announce <laughs> like, to announce it when you're not really active anyways, yeah. Yeah, it it was uh, yeah, like it, you y'all weren't working on anything like your career peaked and like came to a logical end with random access memories, which is fine. Like, you know, that sucks, but I understand that arc like <laughs> i get it um but it just seemed weird to like just pop up you know years later and say like they make a whole hubbub about not uh you know not making music together anymore it and it led me to believe that they were announcing a breakup to announce a reunion um but maybe that's just wishful thinking. But at the end of the day, like we've got traffic, like Daft Punk is great because Daft Punk is only, only the music and the visuals. Mm -hmm. Like 
it there's no messiness so like you were talking about kind of like separating like the art from the artist like i would be a much bigger like jared leto fan if i knew less about jared <laughs> right leto. yeah and i like in that and that's what i think a lot of people like are kind of struggling to navigate or understand like in this current climate is like the brand of jared leto has to mesh with the brand of disney and brand of tron like the public like applies so much of their knowledge to what you're consuming to where to the point where you can't see the character you just see jared leto um so like uh, i don't know but they had eric andre in the lion king come on dude that Lion King movie had a stacked cast. Yes. But, like, they did Can You Feel the Love Tonight in broad fucking daylight. <laughs> did you catch that? I I saw it in theaters once, and I was like, that's fine. It's it's what it is, and I, I don't need to go back to it. But um, I did not, no, I did not I, catch it. I mean, that. I saw... I saw it once in theaters too. And I, I actually had to go back and watch the YouTube video to like really believe my eyes because like not a sunset occurs. Like it's literally like <laughs> mid morning. They break into the duet. Can you feel the love tonight? And like, you cannot feel the fucking love. <laughs> like there's, there's, there's no night. Yeah. And y'all just met. Like it was a garbage movie with, just a phenomenal cast. I, I think I just remember um, liking um, Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen's character, like uh, doing Timon and Pumbaa. That was probably the only thing I really enjoyed about it. They should, they should software update that movie and just do like do a round CGI, just like CG, do like Kingdom Hearts CGI Lion King, like like Pixar or something overlay. Maybe? Yeah, like a Pixar-shaped um, Lion King. That's that's acceptable. Uh, I don't need to see. I hate talking animal movies. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Like, and all you did, yeah, all they did was make a talking animal movie. Yeah, I agree. My wife was a huge Lion King fan of like the original uh, animated when she was a mm. kid, and saw you know the Broadway show and the the live performance, and had all the toys and shirts and everything and then we went and saw this in theaters and it was just sort of like she, she wasn't really hyped for it i think she sort of saw like it's never going to top the original but it was just sort of like it wasn't a big deal the original wasn't a big deal to me as a kid so i didn't really care but it's just sort of like man this is this sucks <laughs> like why did they do like yeah. the the realistic animals i, I don't know listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening Yeah, Tron. How's <laughs> Tron Legacy? Um, 
I will read some of the the trivia I found, unless you had something else. No, uh, no, I I feel like we only got into like the first like thirty minutes of the film, but ultimately, like it really just kind of takes off. Like I I have minimal complaints about this movie apart from it being a little dry like personality wise like i like i do i do wish that they had kind of developed the marvel quippy jokes like a marvelified tron would be fine which if they did a third one we we might get that yeah like if they got the ant-man guy to do tron i think that'd be fine um or at least you know, call back uh, Edgar Wright. Make a fucking Edgar oh, Wright. Oh God, Tron. Edgar Wright Tron. I, I don't think Edgar is fit for like the the Disney universe. I don't know. Apparently not. Yeah. We'll never we'll never know what is Ant Man. Yeah. That's a whole different podcast, Would've man. Been. For sure. But uh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some of this. I mean, go for it. Olivia Wilde is the only actor in the film playing a program who doesn't wear contact lenses for the role due to the natural intensity of her eyes. This is not including Clue or Tron, who are created in the images of their users, which we talked a little bit about because, you know, she's she's very striking and um, plays that character very well. Uh, this this one I thought was very interesting. Shooting the film lasted only 64 days. But post-production, due to the heavy special effects, required 68 weeks. Whoa. So they only filmed 64 fun. days, like two months. That's pretty wild. I would have thought it took a that's lot a longer. Tight, yeah. That's a tight shoot. Um, I, I, I thought this was really good, too. Early drafts of the script did not feature the role of Alan Bradley. It was only after public outcry by Bruce Boxleitner and fans of the original film that Bradley was added to the script. His performance proved so popular, he went on to make public appearances as Alan Bradley to promote the film and return to play the role of Tron in Tron Uprising. That's wild. Like, how do you not have him? Yeah, how do you not have him? Like, this movie would be nothing without him. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, Um, And they, uh, in that short film that I mentioned, they brought back one of the bit characters from the first film and like, uh, the popcorn guy. Oh yeah. They described. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in the IMDb. Yeah. So, uh, they reveal him to be like, kind of like this, the hacker behind Flynn lives, which is like the real life campaign of Mm -hmm. like keeping that dream alive. Um, and it's so it's just weird how it's much they really did source from the first film uh while still like pretending like they were doing something <laughs> like i guess they I wanted to do something more wholly original but instead uh you know uh fell back on the nostalgia of the original more than they had originally intended. Yeah, the the sort of um, second, probably more the second act, like right when he gets in the computer, felt very much like when Flynn got into the computer. You know, he's he's thrown into this world and has to compete against these games, and um, he's naturally good at them. But Flynn was good because he played a lot of computer games where 
uh, Sam was good because he's um, an extreme sports enthusiast, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, very, a lot of mirroring like he's, he's, you know, a chip off the old block like his dad. But um, this this one I found absolutely fascinating for a movie of its budget and uh, size. The suits worn by the actors proved to be problematic on set. Every single one of them was fitted with a small lithium battery that powered the circuitry for the embedded light strips, but each battery only lasted 12 minutes. In order to maximize the output, the light strips had to be switched on right before each take and turned off immediately afterwards. The circuitries inside the suits were also very fragile, so the actors could not simply sit between takes, but had to recline against upright boards. Um, the suits the actors had to wear were so hot and uh, can't... And when cameras were not rolling, the cast would sit underneath giant yellow air conditioning tubes to cool off. Wow. Like 12 minutes. And they said, like, as soon as they would turn them on, like, they would last a few minutes and then they'd start to dim. Like, what a pain in the ass. You'd, you'd think, like, Disney would be able that to figure like out. That sounds like a trivia. It, <laughs> that sounds like trivia for the first film. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's 2010. They couldn't figure out, like, how to. LED. LED lights. Lights. Come on. Well, I wonder if they had a, I wonder what the costuming was like, uh, or like who did it, um, on the sequel, because it did, it got the Oscar nomination in the, in the first one, but, um, you know, no such attention except for best sound editing it was nominated for, but, um, I'd love to learn more about those costumes and figure out like why they weren't powered that way, because that definitely seems like an accomplishable thing now. Right. Uh, and I don't know what really has changed. Like, um, I feel like cosplayers yeah. could have figured it out. Like you think there's probably people who went in Tron cosplay that had led strips without, you know, having to change the battery every 12 minutes. Yeah, it's, um <laughs> it's fascinating because i'm looking at the image i'm looking at like the movie poster i used to have this poster up on my wall like the 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 tron legacy mm -hmm. one with uh sam and cora but um it's really just like plating and uh there was that hurley trade-in uh so this is a weird kind of trivia bit where uh both tron and weezer had hurley clothing collaborations. oh i, I have the, the uh, plaid shirt and the vest the weezer ones uh, not uh, the tron the weezer yeah but the there's a whole tron line too and like it's kind of it's that like athleisure wear that they're okay that makes sense that they're wearing or like, you know, the, the hoodies look like the costume or, you know, look like the program outfit, but obviously aren't like plasticky and light up. So I'm just like very astounded at that, like <laughs> the 12 minute bit, because it, I, it should have worked for longer than that. Yeah, because the wardrobe budget for this film was $13 million. Um, one custom suit alone for the racers cost 60000 on their own. What? Yeah. I mean, that's... So I guess it was, it was just all specialty costumes, because, or it, it just specific suits because like now you've got like you've got a costume department and then you've got like a, a superhero costume department mm -hmm. where like 
you know, uh, just a whole department dedicated to shit like lights and cosplay looking stuff. Right. Um, so it's uh, maybe the industry just wasn't really there for like in 2010. It's, I don't know. It's crazy to think like in the first Tron, they just did it in post, like colorized the, the strips on the costumes and mm-hmm. now we're in 2010 they're like changing batteries every 10 minutes <laughs> yeah it's just it's wild how you know in movies whatever has whatever has to happen to make it work happens <laughs> you know like if you need to get like the ac fan to put over like so that they're cool between takes or like you need to have an upright couch for them to right yeah I, I, there was all kinds of information on imdb about the costumes like they they were they they were like told they couldn't sweat much like or they were you know trying to make sure they didn't sweat much because the moisture would like hit the led mm. strips and could cause electric shocks and stuff like sounds like it was a nightmare to make it um practical like they didn't want to cgi in the lights they wanted them practical when they shot so uh apparently it was a huge nightmare I yeah I I I think technology is I think the technology is there to make yeah. this a more a cheaper more pleasant experience. Jared Leto would never everyone. stand to be shocked. He will have to you know he'll have a natural glow from his aura. Oh, are you kidding me? He's gonna shock himself in oh. his trailer <laughs> like multiple times. He's going to really try to fit himself into an Apple computer to for the role. Yeah. He's literally, yeah. He's going to eat nothing but apples for um, six months for the movie. He's like, I'm, I'm becoming a computer. <laughs> um, this was the most expensive film ever made by a first-time director with a production budget of $170 million. Um, That's pretty impressive. It's a lot of money to be trusted. Oh, with. God, yeah. I, <laughs> it's, I uh, That would keep me up at night, just the idea of being in charge of that. I don't know how they did it but you know he went on to do such things as the uh taco bell commercial so you know it worked out all right he's for him. probably swimming in it i'm sure know. he he didn't need my 12 dollars for oblivion but he got it that's true it's a pretty good it's a pretty good movie that's okay I, I, which one's oblivion uh tom cruise okay yep yep uh the clones yes yeah, I know what you, I, uh, I just had to. I was like, as soon as you said Tom Cruise, I'm like, that's, that's have you have you seen it? Um, uh, no. Oh, okay, because it's 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 definitely a that movie is weird because it's based on a comic, but it's based on a comic at that time where if your screenplay like wasn't working, you turned it into a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you'd like turned it into a graphic novel because people like Hollywood was more interested in adapting graphic novels than they were just producing original ideas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like Oblivion was this script that turned into uh, a graphic novel. And then a film. For, for, for the sole purpose of being optioned into a film that's, so that the, so that the film could say it's based on a graphic novel that's, uh, that seems like a big workaround but it seems like it worked so they got tom cruise it they did get tom cruise and a very pretty movie at the end of the day it's got it's got a lot of problems maybe more than tron legacy 
but it's potentially prettier if you can believe it. I'll have to check it out. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. Um, I just another one that I just didn't see. But uh, while holding the Tron action figure, young Kevin Flynn hums the first notes to Wendy Carlos theme from the original film. And it's the only time it was heard in, in Tron Legacy. Which I caught because I watched it's it right a... after the first. Yeah, it's not a it's I don't consider it a signature theme song yeah like it kind of is and it's like a nice nod um but yeah it's it doesn't i wouldn't have caught that if i hadn't you know it's the kind of thing that you catch because you watched it right sequentially yeah i mean i i had to comb through this uh there's so much stuff on this movie and most of it's like this this little tiny thing is a nod to this the the first movie it's like a million easter eggs and i was like i can't go through every easter egg but there's some interesting ones uh michael sheen drew inspiration from may west and ziggy stardust for his performance and um that character i was sort of like i could almost see uh jared leto being in that performance and taking it too far because he would he would love that um you know character that michael sheen played uh yeah it, it always screamed bowie to me yeah um and i'm happier for it, it it's a it, it, it's a great performance and like even though like his character isn't quite like explained enough to make sense um it's it's a fun little you know bait and switch scene it's so prototypical uh marvel right yeah it's really really pretty good i i thought that scene was a lot of fun Oh yeah, with the Daft Punk cameo and like yeah, DJ a lot of the that party. digital gore. Yep. Um super fun scene with the elevator. Uh it, it's just yeah, like it it's kind of one of those last movies that has you know, these big budget Disney ones that uh have completely straight faced action scenes mm-hmm. with like not a lot, you know, like no jokes. Um, I just wish that these movies had more jokes at the end of the day uh, and just more like pizzazz. Like I can't stand that Sam isn't more like a Marty McFly type. Yeah, that would. Um, yeah, I can. Now that you say that, that would be a little more fitting and fun. Well, yeah. And, I, and then, you know, you make a Marty McFly by like, making him like a human being and that you know that's costume that's you know in universe music taste like even making like minute decisions like if sam himself were to set the song to separate ways Mm -hmm. (laughs) my journey like that that would have given me more than what the film ultimately does because he's just he didn't choose blank it. Yeah. face cool guy. Yeah. Amy Esterley fil- Esterley filmed scenes as Sam Flynn's mother, though most were deleted from the final film. In an early cut of the film, Sam's mother was to have lived well into his childhood years. This plot point was changed in post-production to add emphasis to the father-son relationship between Sam and Kevin Flynn. Esterley still makes a brief appearance as an unidentified woman in a flashback sequence. The movie novelization retains the early 
earlier concept of Sam's mother surviving and expands her backstory as to how she met Kevin Flynn and the circumstances of her death. Damn, I would totally read the novelization. Well, now you have something else to get. Yeah, it's apparently... <laughs> I actually... I'm surprised did, you didn't. I, I, I never read novelizations. <laughs> um, although, I guess they do kind of, uh, you know, have some value to them like in details and whatnot but i did end up ordering the two issue tron comic tron betrayal um so like they're like they did this is a whole ass franchise mm-hmm. like there is the tv show which i would recommend checking out because it it is just streaming on disney plus so like there's not um but uh oh my gosh i'm reading that a live action television series was in development by john ridley as a disney plus exclusive before the project was shelved what the heck we'll dust it off come on guys come on he's from uh wait he he wrote the screenplay for 12 years a slave and he got hired for oh he right he's written a bunch of comics he's writing batman right now that's interesting oh. anyway um yeah i i i think there's like a whole i hate that there are uh things like that cut out right because, you know give me uh, <laughs> give me the director's cut extended <laughs> four hours now that that's the norm now that all you have to do is start a campaign to like demand your uh, your entertainment be as much as possible well, yeah, let, as long as possible let's start it here the uh kaczynski cut of tron legacy uh t- let's let's get a twitter at least the kaczynski cut <laughs> uh yeah the cgi version of young jeff bridges is cobbled from footage of him in against all odds made two years after the original tron this was when this was then retrofitted onto motion cap performances by Bridges himself and stunt double John Reardon, who was his stand-in. The whole thing took approximately two years to complete. That's incredible. Yeah, I had no idea they used like footage from Against All Odds to make it. I just figured it was either all motion capture or they just pulled it from the original Tron. I guess there wasn't much in color, huh? No, and and the original Tron. and they wanted him a few years older, I guess, because you know he's supposed to be oh like he had a kid by true. then, and it, but still, you would I mean, two years and what we got is like did it really make a difference? I don't know, um, but yeah, I guess they did film the all the original on black and white film, so they probably didn't have that footage to use. Um, this. This was the first Disney movie to have a themed promotion in Playboy magazine. Really? Yeah. I've never seen those ads. Uh, Disney brought in Michael Arndt and John Lasseter to provide major rewrites to the film during reshoots when an early cut of the film proved lackluster. I love Michael Arndt and his script doctoring. <laughs> He's, he always script doctors on like the most fun things, I feel like. Did you know this fact about it, though? Um, I actually did not know that he did a punch-up on it. 
him nor him or John Lasseter. Which, you know, mostly because I I never really loved the script. Right. So like, you would think like, you'd not, expect yeah. something better out of them if they were brought in. A little bit, but uh yeah, that uh, that tracks. It tracks that they would be the ones called to fix it. <laughs> To fix drawing. This is this one's a fascinating one. Casey Affleck was in negotiations to portray Sam Flynn before scheduling conflicts prevented a deal to go any further. That would have been so good. Yeah, I feel. I I think I I mean I definitely would have liked that more. Um, I mean, shoot, they could have gotten a Hemsworth to do this, right? And, yeah, and I sort of but, thought of them when when we saw who we got. I was like. He sort of just looks like a like a generic brand Hemsworth, but you know that's that's kind of what he is. Yeah, and uh, here's here's a little bit about what you were talking about earlier. Cillian Murphy's character Edward Dillinger, too, is meant to be the son of Edward Dillinger, um, the primary antagonist from the first film, who stole credit for creating Kevin Flynn's video games. He appears in only one scene. His uncredited appearance is meant to hint at a possible sequel, which was at one point in the works, but has yet to materialize. And we've spent a half hour talking about that. Um, And then the final one I had, which was something we talked a little bit about too, as part of the film's marketing strategy during 2010, one of the monorails at Walt Disney World Resort was decorated with Tron legacy art. The art depict a blue Uh or orange program, depending on the side of the train. And the film's logo at the front of the monorail with a beam stretching to the back of the train. For the duration of the prom- promotion, the train was referred to within Disney as the Toronto Rail instead of the That's monorail. Sick. Yeah, I would have. I'm like, oh, I, I, I try to look up pictures. There's there's some stuff out there. It's pretty cool to see because um, that monorail, you know, just sort of lends itself to that. But I, I'm excited totally. for the ride. I'm just so stoked for that. And we go to uh, Disney once a year at least, and we have annual passes at Universal. So um, we're definitely saving and waiting for Tron to open before we go back to Magic Kingdom. But it sounds yeah, originally I, supposed I'm to be out. To figure out the right year. It's supposed to be out this year, but it's been pushed back to next year. Yeah, there's that, and then the Guardians coaster, and like like the Star Wars hotel. It's like there's a, like so many things coming up within the next two years that like I really want to b- book a trip for like three years out. Yeah, <laughs> like there's there's still there's still some waiting to do, and then uh, Super Nintendo World down south uh, in Orlando too is is gonna be fun. Um, yeah, I love theme parks too. Uh, and I and I'm glad that there will be <laughs> a Tron one in existence stateside. Me too. I'm excited for it. So, um, was there any final thoughts you had on the Tron world before we uh, close up shop on on the computer? Um, only that I feel like I poo pooed on these movies more than i want to leave off with like and i hope people understand that like i love these movies be like because they're interesting the first one definitely has more character and structure and pizzazz to it like but 
I don't know. I feel like I've spent the last like 10 years being ultra defensive of Tron Legacy. So it turns me, it's turned me into something of an apologist where it's like, no, no, like, let me explain like how much I like this movie. But I think it doesn't need much explaining. It, it, it's, it's a fun ride and it, you know, starts a lot of threads that don't, you know, add up. It's a great pilot for a series that wasn't picked up. Like, Tron 3, my big fear is that it's going to, like, neuter some of the creativity and imagination that, like, has developed in the years since. So I love it. I hope people have seen it and watch it. It's not, it's, you know, it's right there. Yeah. It's always right there. So there's no reason not to. Yeah. If you have Disney plus, which everybody probably does, uh, it's, it's an easy watch. Like, you know, if you have kids throw it on, I mean, they're, they'll have fun with it. It's, it's a, even the first one, it probably a little too, the first one might be a little too slow for your kids, but it's a fun trip back in time. Um, Tyler, let our listeners know, what you've been up to, um, where they can hear your music, and uh, let them know about anything going on in your world you want them to know about. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, tweeting a lot at Tyler Scruggs. Um, I am finishing my third record, and I'm doing it on, I'm doing a lot of the work on Twitch right now, um, which has kind of been fun to sort of be live while i'm working on things um so if you're around weekday afternoons come check that out or you know learn about me at tylerscrux.com um a writer and uh thinker and <laughs> maybe you'll come across something you like where can they watch your twitch like is it just uh oh yeah uh, uh twitch.tv slash scrug or not uh you can find uh i I usually try to direct people to the website or the Twitter just because it's my name. Scruggernaut uh, is kind of like my username, quasi-pseudonym. It's my Instagram handle, uh, what I use on the internet. It's, Twitch. it's your program. Twitch.tv. It's your program name. It's my program name, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's my program name. It's, it's the, the Scruggs that can't be stopped. Scruggernaut. I love it. I'm excited to hear some new music from you because I have your first two albums and, and they are streaming on Spotify too as well, right? Oh, yeah. They're, those are everywhere. Um, I've and got Apple music. three singles. Yeah. yeah, three singles from the new record up right now. Uh, and uh, check those out before I take them down before the album release. Well, I have physical copies, so uh, you can't... Oh, fantastic. You have to, you have to, I can't take it. Yeah, I can't take them out of my cold, dead hands. Um Thanks so much for joining me on this love letter to the Tron franchise. Thanks for introducing me to these <laughs> films. I had a blast and uh, I, I will be introducing them to people. I'm sure I'm like the last person alive who hasn't seen it. People are always surprised to find out what I haven't seen. Oh, here's here's one thing I always like to do to guests um, when I have them on here for a movie. Uh, if you have any movies that you haven't seen that people might be surprised by, um, if you want to get it off your chest and, and let it be known to the public, you haven't seen something that um, is like a major hole in your movie watching history, feel free to just let it be known right now. Sure. Um, the thing that comes to mind is like, I have like this weird like kink 
where I don't watch the sequels to things um, often. Like I, I got baited into watching the Jurassic Park sequels. Like I went, you know, decades without um, seeing two or three or like Jaws two or three or uh, like and the one that I'm owning up to and admitting and kind of committing to seeing is uh, I haven't seen the Matrix sequels seen the first one many times uh but i haven't seen the sequels and so now that there's another one coming i feel like i gotta do that so it's so funny because my last guest jordan who had never seen breakfast club um i gave him this opportunity and he said the matrix movies they're uh they're they're dark they're they, they're shot dark <laughs> so they make me fall asleep i uh those movies and i i told him a little bit about this but those are like my one, one of my first experiences in that whole like movies are an event i went to the like midnight showings of the sequels mm-hmm. and i remember seeing like a grown men in like leather uh trench coats and like the glasses that clipped on your nose and slick back hair and thinking like Oh Christ! Like I don't, I don't know if this is for me. But um, luckily, it didn't ruin it didn't ruin movie going for me, you know. But uh, it's one of like my earliest memories of of being hyped for a big movie at the theaters. That's great. Yeah. So again, thanks so much for coming on. It's great talking to you, catching up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and um, I'll have to have you back on because I'm sure you know we could talk forever. When when uh, Tron Three comes out or when Kanye West puts out something new, um, I'll have to <laughs> drop you a line, get you back on here to to inform my listeners about it. Great. That's my brand. Thanks for having me, Dad. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.